Excellent. So, hello. Welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast once again. Today we have a panel, a roundtable conversation, um, where we're going to be exploring what buyers really want from sales training. Um, we'd like to explore the middle ground where we share uh, common ground, common objectives, um, and where there's a misalignment, where there's a misunderstanding. Because certainly my experience is a lot of training dollars are spent, but the outcomes aren't delivered. And I'd like to understand why that is, uh, what causes it, and how to prevent it. In fact, better than that, how do we get the customer the outcome that they actually paid for? So uh, today we have um, a very interesting panel. Um, I'm going to let each of them uh, introduce themselves uh, in terms of some detail. Um, but uh, Karen Young um, is the uh, L&D lead for industry solutions at Microsoft. Marco Muller's is the VP of uh, Learning and Development at DSM. And Angelique Brewers um, has a very interesting take on education, both as a deliverer and a recipient. So I'm gonna start off with Angelique. Uh, would you mind giving 45 seconds on your background, please? Sure, and I'll say good morning because I'm coming to you from Boca Raton, Florida, where it's very early. I'm the CEO and founder of Bold House, which is a firm that mentors small business and diverse business that's selling to the major corporations around the world. Um, but I spent 10 years in the Fortune 100 working for the C-suite and helping to make purchasing decisions and leading marketing and business development efforts, um, working uh, both on the sales side, but also bringing in sales trainers and, and working with sales. And we've helped about 10,000 small business owners around the world in 72 countries to win corporate clients. So we do a lot of sales training ourselves. Excellent. Um, Karen. Hi. Um, uh, good afternoon. I'm in England. Um, and so my background really is I've worked at Microsoft for a very long time. I've done a variety of different roles um, from joining as a debt collector in finance uh, to running a call center in Africa, uh, to running technical communities in Asia, and then finally coming over and doing learning and readiness and onboarding at Microsoft US. Wow, that's a pretty eclectic mix. That, that, that's called range, I believe. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, interestingly enough, um, the whole topic of range is very interesting uh, within the learning uh, environment. So we might well touch on that. Uh, Marco. Hi, everybody. Nice to meet you from the Netherlands. I'm, as Marco said, the VP for Learning and Development at DSM. Uh, DSM is a global purpose-led science-based company. We're active in nutrition, health and sustainable living. And before this, I had a background uh, in Philips, where I worked for a long time uh, in HR transformation. And the last years have been specializing in disrupting the adult learning space. Wow. Excellent. Okay, so we've got a pretty diverse group. We've got a couple of uh, purchasing and procurement uh, people um, who hopefully will be able to join us as well. I'll introduce them later um, when they arrive. Um, but let, let me ask you this. Um, in each, of, uh, each case, could you tell me, when you bring in a sales trainer, what are the outcomes that you are hoping to achieve? And um, what do you actually measure? Um, so uh, let's start with Marco. Did you address me? Sorry, I couldn't hear. Yes, sorry, Marco. Yes, please. I see we have a new person joining us. Do you want to introduce first or shall I answer? Um, I'll just very quickly introduce Jill Robbins. She's the founder and CEO of Business Fierce. And she's got 25 years in corporate America uh, at the top of procurement and is one of the top influencers in that space as well. So thank you very much for the um, uh, gap. Marco, over to you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I, th I think it depends very much on, on whom you ask. If you ask my uh, sales managers or if you ask myself as a, as a head of learning, 
Um, but you asked me the question, so I'm going to say the only thing that, that counts is impact. Impact, and how do you measure that? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm looking for help with that. So uh, curious to hear how, how others see this. Um, and, and impact can, of course, be many things. And obviously, we will uh, want to measure it in literal sales outcome. Um, how to do that? It's uh, you know, looking looking for your recommendations there. Excellent, Angelique. Well, I, I might have to answer this a little bit differently because we are typically the ones doing the sales training. If we bring someone in to work with us, it's usually that I want to create more consistent behavior uh, among my team that's selling. We're looking for, for more consistency of behavior. Um, but it's difficult to expect a trainer to change the outcome um, of, of the end result because there are so many factors that go into that. So for me, I'm looking for indication that my sales team is actually being more consistent in what they're doing. Um, but there's a piece of this that I think is important, which is that you have to make sure you're training the right people. If you're training the wrong people and you have the wrong people in the roles, then it doesn't really matter what training that you're doing with them. Their behavior is not going to change if you're starting with the wrong people. So we can talk more about that. But what I'm looking for is more consistency. Um, beyond that, it's really on me and the marketing team and the prospects that we're bringing in and a lot of the other things we're doing as to whether or not there's going to be a difference on the actual revenue side of things. But I want and consistency. Correct. That's as the training provider. No, as the as the customer, if I'm bringing right, in okay, someone, yeah. you know, I want consistency of my team. If okay. I'm going in doing the training, Marcus, for me, uh, the first thing that we do is make sure we're starting with the right people. A lot of times, you know, customers have the wrong people in the role and no amount of training will will change that. Uh, but again, if, if you're starting with people who don't want to learn or un unwilling to change, uh, you are uh, essentially pushing rope uphill. Um, I, I do always think that um, uh, learning that doesn't get through, um, I always like to see as a, a teaching um, disability. Um, so uh, how do we sell it better? How do we get them to engage? Um, but that's the challenge. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, general day-to-day, -day, if you're training en masse, um, if you're training a lot of people, a lot of that spend is likely to be wasted. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, Jill, let's bring you in on this. Um, in terms of when you've been purchasing, um, what are the outcomes that mattered to you and um, how did you measure them? You're on mute. Sorry. Thanks, Marcus. Um, it's pretty basic. You know, it's quality, speed, value. And then depending on the spend category, you know, all of those, you know, can expand. You've got different KPIs and it's the follow through. So something, Marcus, you and I have talked a lot about, but, you know, most salespeople think, great, the deal's signed. I can walk away. I can celebrate. I get my, you know, quarterly bonus. The deal has just begun when the contract is signed. So it's the follow through, you know, whether it's a software solution, um, whether it's training, um, whether, you know, it's... Uh, in the context of training, though, sales yeah. training, yep. what, what are the outcomes that you're hoping for? Obviously, those yep. uh, follow through um, in terms of the, uh, the relationship is absolutely key. And I right. agree with you. Uh, at that point, the marketplace is now open uh, right. and you've just got your toe in the door. Um, and that's when the real selling should begin. Uh, but more importantly, um, that's where most of the selling ends. Yes. In, uh, because you do the drive-by shooting, you've yes. done it, you turn up, um, you do the uh, entertainment bit, and then you beetle off um, and uh, you know walk away uh, you know, with your hands clean um, because there's no consequence to no follow-through. It's not just the follow-through to the, uh, the people who bought it. Uh, it's the follow-through with the users. Yes. Yeah. So in terms of sales training, I mean, I agree it's revenue, but it's got to be margin growth. It's got to be expansion of different channels to different customers. Um, so revenue is only one measure, um, but to be profitable, you have to have that margin expansion. 
you can reinvest in R&D, you can reinvest in your team. Um, there are a lot of different avenues. You, you have to have that employee engagement. You have to have the right um, butts and seats and um, you know people in the right roles. I think those are all table stakes. Um, but I am a big proponent of transparency and tying it to, you know, growing with a, a new channel, growing with um, a, a different angle of your business. If you're trying to penetrate a new market, whether that be geographically, whether that be in a different industry, um, those are what I would be looking for in measuring and holding that sales training company accountable to. And it's a two-way street because they have to follow the advice and the input and the guidance. Um, and then you can measure those outcomes. So hold that thought because it's really key. And I agree with you. Um, I just don't see that happen ever. Um, I mean, have any of you actually experienced that? There is resounding silence and I can see tumbleweed uh, going across the screen. So Karen, same question to you. Okay. I mean, I think there were some really good nuggets from everybody. And so I, I was writing some of them down. I'm like, oh, I agree with that. And I think it is very, depending on what you're training and also who is the person from a business perspective who's viewing it. Well, I think that was like Marco's point of like, if it's my boss, probably a clear-cut revenue. Did, did it move? Did the needle uh, move there? But also there are other things that underpin that at the start of the, the sales cycle, like, you know, uh, what's the relationship? Like, are we growing and expanding that footprint, that influence? Uh, is the deal velocity increasing because of the knowledge that has been trained to them and maybe the execution processes that may have been changed? And then at the end stage, you know, working for, for Microsoft, the deal isn't done when it's signed. We work in a cloud environment now, so it's all about consumption. So we need our users and uh, to, to have the, the solutions, to be using the solutions, to getting better experiences and growing their needs with those solutions to actually then expand that footprint and say, you know, now I have a new business need or there's a new market trend. And I, I feel that, you know, we would have a great, you know, uh, ability to, to sort of like leapfrog our, our competitors by using and growing what you've got at, uh, we, we have at Microsoft. Um, I think there's also another component, which is measuring the skills, capabilities, and the behaviors um, that the trainers are providing. And so what's the ability for, um, for the knowledge to be transferred, but then that's like the first peanut butter layer. There's, there's more layers to that of, are our managers capable of coaching that knowledge oh, uh, and being able to spot how to uh, the people are applying that knowledge? How do you measure the application of it? And how do you actually also measure the, the skills capabilities so you know how many mentors you have in your community for that role on that topic? That you've been training so do you see a now a growth spurt in that and people being able to not just depend on coaching from their managers but coaching on uh, their, their peers and their community so i think there's a number of different kpis and a number of different avenues that you can look to measure did the training actually drive the impact that you're looking from a customer perspective a partner perspective and um uh, a, a business perspective. Um, that's fantastic. Could um, someone's got something going on in the background? If you can go on mute, um, uh, if you're not uh, talking, that would be grand. Um, so let let me just build on that, Karen, because I think you you've touched on something really important. But there is a glaring anomaly here. Um, when was the last time that a training provider went into that level of depth in their discovery? So I think it's not, it doesn't end up being a training provider, unfortunately. It ends up being maybe a solution here or an internal app there, or maybe some other things going on in the company that you end up finding. Um, so it ends up being this uh, hodgepodge of various different components, all making um, or trying to make um, 
those justifications to the business to say, yeah, that that worked, that training was great. I don't think there is a moment somebody that that I could just, you know, ring up and just say, hey, like I want something soup to nuts, can you do it? And that's the problem that most people, I think, that are running businesses stumble upon. So, Jill, can I bring you in on this? Yeah. Um, because I'd like to explore how the partnership between L&D and procurement uh, can work mm -hmm. um, if there's more communication between the two departments. Uh, because strategic procurement, and that is 10%, the other 90 is tactical. So um, let, let's be realistic about this. You're only going to find this one in 10 if you're lucky. Um, but if you have strategic procurement, um, what kind of relationship uh, do you, you and L&D need to forge? And how do you work together with the business mm -hmm. in order to uh, build that um, total solution? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think Karen brings up a very important point, and I would describe it as due diligence in diving into the customer persona and what the business is trying to accomplish, defining those goals. Um, and oftentimes, the sales organization does not even understand. Um, so it's important to really peel back that onion, if you will, um, to understand what is critical, um, you know, sales at any cost, buying the business, there are various incentive programs. And what I've seen in, you know, my 20 plus years experience is there is a lot of value in margin given away that is unnecessary because the sales team is too lazy to listen to the customer and actually apply what is valued to them. Um, they don't want to be bought. They want a better solution or they want a better product. Um, so invest in those areas and truly listen to them. And something you know that I apply in my practice, Marcus, and we've talked about this, but I always survey, what are your customers telling you? Whether you win the business, whether you lose the business or you don't you know, get that upsell, what are your customers telling you um, or your potential customers that you did not win? And oftentimes that's where the gold is. And you need to apply those learnings um, as you plan your strategy um, and as you upskill your organization. So the, it strikes me, and this is probably heretical, so I'm expecting torches and pitchforks, um, that it makes sense to include actual customers in the training. Yeah, I mean, I think you can include them in the early stages of the training, Marcus, or just do a survey, you know, do um, a, you know, specialized session. I'm losing, it's early here, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, just have, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Brain trust. Um, yeah, kind of a brain trust, but, you know, pull different segments of your customers together um, and just have, you know, an open dialogue with them to understand what, what's critical to them. Excellent. Okay, thank you. So, Angelique, um, in your experience as a trainer um, and selling training, um, how often um, do you actually have access to all the different stakeholders that you need in order to make an informed recommendation um, versus the times where you kind of have to make that compromise? Uh, a lot um, because we're pretty insistent. Uh, we're big believers that you decide how customers buy from you um, and, and don't allow them to dictate it to you. So we always embed a discovery phase into that process. Um, so we're pretty demanding or we just won't work with folks. We're pretty discerning about who will even go in to support. If they won't let us assess who's on their team, if they won't let us do stakeholder interviews with voice of the customer embedded into that, we won't work. And I think part of that, Marcus, goes to 
what do we mean by sales training? You know, most people who are in sales don't necessarily need training on, you know, we're going to analyze buyer personas. I mean, how many times do you have to get through that? Typically, the best sales training isn't what you would mostly think of as sales training. It's training people to actually be more agile uh, problem solvers in the moment mm -hmm. to actually be better critical thinkers, to actually be better communicators, not just with the customer, but better communicators with their internal team. When we're doing complex sales, you have a whole team of people. A lot of times the sale runs off the rails, not because of something that happened necessarily between the sales team and the, the buyers, but because there's internal conflict inside the organization between the people who are going to be delivering the service and the sales team that are trying to sell it. And even within that sales team, you've got the product you know, manager often, and you've got your head of sales, they're fighting with one another. Uh, the team that's going to have to deliver behind is arguing about how we're going to bid this out. Maybe you've got engineering in there and, and, and the delivery, the operations team. And so a lot of times what we mean by sales training is not yet another sales training of how we're going to overcome a sales objection or build rapport. You know, it's actually more fundamental than that. And it's, it's, kind of trying to uh, beat out this sort of uh, closed-mindedness that can set in to salespeople who've been in sales for 25 years and they think they know everything. Well, yep. th this then speaks to uh, another um, uh, rule that I'm formulating about selling, uh, which is that the solution the buyer brings you is never the real solution. Right. Um, Correct. Because I, I think very often uh, it, it, salespeople or, or vendor organizations are very guilty of this. Mm -hmm. And they see the buyer's journey uh, mm -hmm. only as the bit that they come into contact with. So in the um, uh, using McDonald's, uh, a trip to McDonald's as an example, um, the, the buyer's journey for a McDonald's employee is someone comes up to the squawk box, places their order, drives forward, pays their money and picks up their food. Um, the buyer's journey, actually, is the kids are screaming, uh, they're fighting, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Uh, you pile them into the car, World War III breaks out, it's 98 decibels in the back. Uh, you're stuck at the back of a queue with eight cars in front of you. They're fighting. Um, you get to the second from the back, uh, second from the front. Um, you take their order. Uh, you start placing it. One of the little buggers changes their mind. Uh, the person on the other end uh, probably doesn't speak English as their first language. The sound quality is not great. Uh, you're not sure whether you place the right order. Then you drive forward and you pay your money. Best bit the whole journey. Um, you drive forward to the next window and then you're wondering, should I check it? But there are eight hungry cars behind you and you're thinking, no, sod it, I'll drive off. Meanwhile, you drive off. There's vomit on the seat. There's milkshake on the fo uh, footsill and one of them has a chip out their nose. Uh, and you have to go to A&E, and then you have to get rid of the packaging and deal with the indigestion. And um, that's the buyer's journey. Were you um, in my Were you in my vehicle yesterday? Were you spying <laughs> on me yesterday? I've been there, seen it, done it. Now minor teenagers, we have to deal with a different journey, um, which involves quite a lot of stress. Um, the, the, I, I long for the days when we had toddlers. Um, they were so much easier. Um, so, um, the, the reality is that I don't think there is enough exploration of the common ground um, in most cases when uh, people are looking for training, mm -hmm. uh, when people are selling training, and there's too much of a rush. Things are left uh, to the last minute or they put it through an RFP um, and you know, wh whoever happens to come in, not quite the lowest because we don't want to be cheapskates, um, but they tick the box. Um, and they haven't really given a whole heap of thought to what the root cause of their problems are or where the uh, interconnections are uh, between the different problems across the business. Because mm -hmm. if you change one part of the system and you don't take into account the consequences of changing another part, um, then the system goes out of kilter. So, uh, Karen, let's bring you in on this because um, it, it strikes me that a lot of your work is really in trying to join the dots. Yeah, I, I, I deal, you know, I'm the readiness lead. So a lot of the, the training 
that I provide is all about uh, change management. So the change in strategy, the change in the business triggers or the market environment, which impact what the seller already knows. Um, and so what we're trying to do is then provide that information in a way that they can add it to their existing toolkit um, because we do change strategy. We do change the product. Um, we change the way we want to talk to people about solutions, not the product. And we want to change the way that people engage with the customer in the sense of talking and uh, talking about what the customer wants and really understanding what active listening is and being present and being able to ask, you know, precision, but, you know, essentially sensitive questions to really understand what our customers want. And so I really like the, the piece that Angelique said of, like, it's not about some basic fundamentals of sales training or or what things are. It's actually a lot about the, the softer skills. It's about that, that ability to be agile and, and to really be able to work out what are the business priorities that uh, the customer wants and how do you then dream that dream with the customer to be able to help them on that journey. And maybe that journey has, uh, we talk about three horizons, What's the, what's the, the things that need to get done in the first horizon to enable you to get to the second and to the third, which is the outcomes you really want as a business? So how do you talk to the customer in that way versus, hey, you know, this is what I want to sell you, you know, sign on the dotted line. Thanks very much. I either did an order take or something like that. So it's a very much a, a deeper relationship that we want our sellers to have. And again, it's like, how do training companies really teach that, not some of the things that they have traditionally taught? Excellent. So Marco, let's bring you in. Yeah, I'm loving this conversation because we're we're moving away from that initial question, which I didn't like much. What is the, the what are you looking for in the sales product? And I, and I for me, that's not what it's about. It's more about what the the vendor or the partner, if your if your if your vendor uh, is open for partnership, uh, what they can bring. And I very much like uh, the direction that Angelique and Jill were taking it, where um, it's not about standing in front of a classroom. And and I think Angelique, you said something like. Um, uh, if people don't want to be trained, you can't train them well, right? So it's about finding that connection. And for me, that's where the essence is. It's not about your sales, the, the product of the sales training. It's about how willing is the sales trainer, uh, how willing is he to go or, or, or uh, how deep are they willing to go uh, in connecting with you and finding the solution together and finding that true problem together and then finding the solution accordingly. Um, so it's not about... Uh, deploying your sales training that you've developed uh, in, in your own studio uh, at home or in your company. It's about working together with your target company and, and, and finding the solution together of, of the problem that they have. Right. So again, it, what, what strikes me here is that there absolutely has to be more of a partnership um, and the um, vendors of sales training uh, need to be um, apprised of the strategy, the direction. They need to be bringing um, innovative ways of tackling uh, the changes in the market. Um, they need to challenge the thinking uh, of um, the, uh, the buyers of training uh, in terms of the direction things are going. I mean, what, one of the questions I'd love to cover today um, and we'll come to it in a moment, is around what's in the future for sales. Because I, I think um, you know, the sales landscape is going to change dramatically. We're going to lose probably up to 80% of sales jobs, I think, over the next 10 years. We're already seeing some phenomenal stuff uh, going on uh, around automation, uh, around AI, um, and commoditized purchasing is probably not going to involve a seller at all which is going to have some really interesting um, implications for entry-level sales jobs. And if we don't start thinking about this together, um, then I think we're in deep trouble. Because I think one of the, bi the big payouts um, of that type of collaboration is the creation of apprenticeships for both sales and management. And to pick up on Karen's point earlier, uh, which I think is really important, 
Um, what if our managers don't have a clue how to implement? Only 3% of the global sale, uh, sales training budget goes on managers. Now, they're the most precarious and the most pivotal people, um, and they get next to no training uh, by comparison to sales. Um, and the typical route is a tap on the shoulder uh, saying, Angelique, congratulations, we've just fired your idiot boss. You're now the idiot boss. Um, off you go. Um, that, that's not a great um, runway uh, to learn the most difficult job there is, is it? Angelique. Uh, you're making me think of a, an independent film called The Boss of It All with an idiot. If, if you haven't seen that, Marcus, I think your sense of humor would appreciate that film. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I do think that the best way to learn any job is actually to get thrown into it. Um, but it, it is sad that if I didn't know that statistic. So that's a new one for me. I think, though, in terms of where the sales industry is going to go and what's going to happen, it is going to be interesting. The, the adage that buyers are liars is sort of an interesting one, right? They never really fully tell you the truth. Procurement folks, buyers at a lot of companies are actually trained in a bit of, of deception um, to make the job of, of the sales folks a little bit more challenging. And so it'll be interesting to see how AI plays into all of that. And actually, if there's a little resistance from the buyer side of it, Marcus, because, you know, it's kind of like when you take out the um, you know, we see it in the retail industry. Um, there were there are companies that took all of the sort of games of uh, discounts and sales and coupons and things like that out of the out of the game and said, we're just going to have, you know, flat pricing and it's going to be very regimented. And consumers didn't really like that. They actually kind of liked a little bit of the game. So it'll be interesting to see if in the B2B space, that dynamic between the buyers and the sellers and how all that comes together, if in fact we crave the human aspect of all of this and we don't want it regimented down to just AI. So I'm not sure I buy into that entirely that, you know, but we're going to see shrinking in terms of the sales force. But I think that there's a human side of this and maybe the upside to it would be that some of the more rote tasks will be done by AI, but that the strategizing because business problems today are really complex. So hopefully our salespeople, instead of having to spend so much time on that rope piece, would actually be able to spend more time helping their customers think through the interdependencies of what's going on. Maybe that's what would happen. And our salespeople need to become more of strategists than they do of ushers of a procurement process. Maybe that's what the future holds. Interesting. Okay, so we, we've had a question for someone who's just come in late. What's the key topic of this conversation? It's what buyers really want from sales training. And the problem that we're addressing and providing recommendations on really, we're trying to synthesize um, some ideas in terms of how both sides can do it better. Um, so that ultimately the, uh, the customer gets the outcome that they need. Um, and what I'm looking for here really is the common ground um, and uh, insight, because I, I don't think we're going to solve the problem on this one call. Um, but I, I'd like to start the conversation um, where we're collaborating, um, because I think far too often um, training is something that is done to salespeople um, as opposed to learning, which is something they do for themselves. And I'd love to explore that topic. What if we didn't call it training anymore? What if we didn't talk about training at all? And we talk about learning, empowering. Um, and the natural tendency there is for those who want the training to make themselves, to volunteer themselves. Um, and those who don't will either survive or go by the wayside. Um, so I'm curious, again, let's bring Marco in on this. Um, learning versus training yeah it, it's a it's an interesting one because um as a bit of preparation for this call i asked around with some sales managers hey what do you what do you expect on a sales training what is important to you and and we don't in in almost any of those feedback we don't go beyond things like a great user experience or nps or you know so i i very much agree with the the notion of um 
we need to take them further, right? We need to take them further on the on the on this whole journey. Um, and I'm not sure they themselves realize yet. And I, I, I want to go back real quick to your previous point, um, the, the scary statistic that you gave. I'm, I'm not sure we're yet ready for that future, right? Um, now, in my company, we we decided to stop teaching programs. We stopped to create and build new programs. We said, let's instead of building more and more programs that just deliver the more and more of the same, let's instead focus on people's learning agility. If people are able to learn themselves, if they're able to adjust and, and have a mindset of adjusting continuously, because let's be honest, we're, we're in, a, in a world where uh, what you learned yesterday is, is invalid tomorrow, uh, if not today. Um, so having the ability to adjust might be more important than, than just learning new tricks and learning more and more of this thing. Well, th this is really interesting because one, one of the big uh, frustrations I've had for years uh, as a trainer is the uh, emphasis on technique as opposed to intent. Um, and uh, the emphasis on trying to teach people clever moves instead of learning how uh, to deliver the right contextual solution. Um, and th that comes, I think, with a bit of scar tissue. Um, I, and so, again, it raises a, an important question um, in terms of the partnership um, between the trainer and the managers ongoing after training um, and the partnership between the trainer or the, the learning facilitator and the users. Um, so again, Karen, given the work that you do, this sounds to me like stuff that you're doing uh, within Microsoft. Um, how do you go about creating those partnerships with managers who might be a little bit old school? Yeah, well, I think going back to your training versus learning, I think there is a lot of baggage with training. I think training has this legacy, if you will, of like, oh, that's me going into a classroom, doing it for a period of time, and maybe I walk out with one or two nuggets and I go off. And I think we have to essentially reimagine what learning is, what onboarding is, and I love Marco's piece of, hey, you know, it's agile, but it's actually a really fundamental thing of changing the culture within the company of how they view learning and what learning is. Do they have the time? Do the, do the managers have the ability to know how to teach those pieces that the ICs, the individual contributors are learning? What are the questions they should be asking in their one-to-one? -one? What are the reports they should be just, uh, uh, reviewing to be able to, to see whether you know, there are things that need to be explored or do dives on? So how do we uh, essentially train our ICs, our individual contributors on, on certain things, but then back that up with the managers and also back it up with the leaders because the leaders are doing the big report out and when they get frustrated or something, you know, how do they respond? So there is almost like multiple years. You start there with the ICs doing something with customers and partners, and then how does it throw through the rest of the ecosystem? And then how do you give them that personalized training? Because not everybody is at the same level. They've not had the same experience. And how do you enable them to practice those skills? That's you know, the key. environment whether that's using mobile phones to record, uh, you know, doing demos or recording, you know, pitches or something, or whether that's doing pitches, you know, over the phone with somebody, you know, practicing role plays or doing it in a team or doing lunch and learns and things like that. How do you, how do you do that? And then how do you make it fun? Like learning is supposed to be fun as well. It's not all I gotta look at this and I gotta grind through it. So how do we how do we incentivize? But how do we make it inspiring um, to be able to, to grow your skills and to achieve more? Okay, uh, Karen. If I recall correctly, you only had forty minutes. Um, so yes. Okay. Thank you so, so much. Sorry. That's all right. No problem at all. I just want to say thank you so much. Is, is there what, anything that you uh, want to finish on 
um, because I thought that last bit was very uh, uh, insightful. Well, I think what I'll do is say thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you to the rest of the panel. Like It's great to connect and to, to uh, get your points of view. I was writing a lot of things down because you know, this is a learning opportunity for me, not just a, a talking opportunity uh, or a thinking opportunity. So, uh, so thank you. And I look forward to maybe being able to come and do this again. I, well, I'm delighted that you beat me to the punch. So uh, Karen Young, thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. So um, let's throw the cat among the pigeons a little in that case, um, because uh, if we think of the business as a system, and we change one bit without changing the other, uh, then chances are there are going to be unintended consequences. Um, and so my question is this, um, and this is a big one, um, so you can take a minute. Um, what needs to change in terms of how we recruit and how we compensate and measure for any positive lasting change to succeed within the sales environment. Um, Jill. So what needs to change on how we recruit, compensate and measure in yeah. the sales training environment? Uh, well, within the sales environment yeah. for the training to be relevant. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, I, I I think this is a great question, um, and I like what Karen said around um, you know the learning, and it should be fun. <clears throat> and frankly, if you're not learning, you're dying, um, and if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. Um, and in my experience, the corporate world, you're crucified when you make mistakes, and I I've seen more mistakes at the senior levels and no one will admit it. And those need to be celebrated. And if they wanna crucify the individual contributors, then they need to be crucified too. Um, so that's, sorry to be so blunt, yeah. um, but the senior leaders are the ones that have screwed up strategy, have lost sales, have lost customers over and over and over again. Um, so it's time to be honest about what's really going on and, you know, what we talked about, you know, really diving in to the customer, um, having those focus groups, you know, collecting that voice of the customer, um, and then tying it to how you recruit, tying it to how you compensate and tying it to the margins, because if you're a publicly traded company, Investors don't care if your revenue grows and your margins are shrinking um, because you're not profitable and you're not making money. Um, so selling at what cost? So I think those measurements become inherent in what you learn from the customer. So it's time to let check your ego at the door. And so many of these sales leaders, marketing leaders, CEOs, CFOs, COOs, um, have always done it that way. I mean, how many times have we heard that? Well, it worked with the last product. It worked with the last launch. It worked with, I don't care. It doesn't matter, right? You know, as Marco shared, it, it, everything is changing and it's time for people to start learning, to start doing the proper due diligence, discovery work. If you're not listening, if you're selling to a publicly traded company and you've heard this before, Marcus, and you're not listening to their last earnings call, you should not be selling to that customer. You should be fired. So every time you need to be learning um, and you know, doing that homework, understanding, asking the tough questions and shutting up and listening to the customer and stop selling. Right, okay, so again, this then really speak to uh, John Bissett's question, mm -hmm. uh, which is, do we think organizations hire for the right attributes and so on? No. no. So, um, uh, Angelique, you're shaking your head violently here. No. Um, is what passes for great in sales fit for purpose? And if not, what what is? 
No, no, I'm not going to be, po- I'm not going to be popular with this answer because I know that people in corporate today are assessed uh, to death. I get that. Um, uh, but the bottom line is that we know a lot more about brain science than we're using when it comes to hiring people in sales. And as far as I'm concerned, there's only one assessment that matters when we're hiring for salespeople. It's the Colby assessment. And it looks at the conative part of the brain. You know, there's three parts to the brain, your cognitive, your affective, and your conative. Affectively, we can figure that out. That's what, you know, John might be thinking of when he thinks of an attribute. That's your personality and your preferences. You've got your cognitive, which is what you know, your experience. Maybe you came out of product development and engineering and you were really good at that. And now you're you're in sales. Um, or maybe you spent your whole life at sales. So great. But conatively, that's our MO. That's how our brain takes action every single day with every task. How does your brain connote a solution? Where does your brain start? We can see this in brain scans. You can see what happens with the dithering pattern of someone's brain when they're asked to go outside of their modus operandi, their instinctive approach to how they do something. If you ask someone who solves problems based on being a fact finder, someone who has to have enough information, and you expect them to go be a hunter or be able to work well under pressure of uncertainty, their brain will seize up. You, The science on this has been proven for about 50 plus years now. I mean, DARPA uses it. You look at the business roundtable and, and the folks who sell the most in insurance, they have almost exactly the same brain profiles. We've gone into... Uh, companies that do uh, high net worth financial planning. And you can see between the top performers who are bringing in millions and millions and millions in profit, not revenue, profit for a company versus those that aren't. And it's we can predict before we even assess them what they're going to be. So are we hiring the right way? No. And if you think that you can change someone's MO, you're crazy because you can't. So we all know those people. It's where all the conflict comes from because this guy thinks we should do it this way and this woman thinks we should do it this way. So no, we've got to assess these people and we have to understand that there's certain parts of our brain that get locked in very early and that's not going to change no matter what kind of training. So that's that's my that's a soapbox for me, but this is serious stuff. And the amount of stress that we put on an organization to just not deal with the science part of our brain science, I mean, it's just crazy, Marcus. It's crazy. I'm 100% with you, Marco. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not a sales expert, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be cautious here. But I do have some some perspectives that are from outside the sales. First of all, I think I'm a buyer because I'm in the L&D business, and as an L&D business, you're continuously in the in the vendor procurement business, let's say. Um, and what I can tell is that 90% of the salespeople that approach me piss me off. So somehow that's not working, right? Um, they're annoying me because they're not solving my problem. They're not looking to hear my problem. They're trying to sell their product, right? So I, I don't care about their product. I care about the problem that I have, and I need someone who will listen. So I think Angelique said this uh, several times by now. I need someone who will listen to me and, and talk to me, understand my problem, and then work with me as a partner to solve that problem, right? So so stop. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so my question is this, and it's the same question for all of you. Um, tell me about the best buying experience you have had and what made it stand apart from all the rest. I already answered, so... <laughs> So, so similar to that, do you want to name a name? Uh, let me think about that. So circle back. I need to think. <laughs> and, and I give a proud uh, recognition there. Excellent. So Jill. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's around that listening piece and not selling out of the box or how you've always sold it's truly a customized solution um, or product for the organization. So someone that is truly competent, um, an organization um, that is not misincenting um, their organization um, and not passing the buck when the deal is closed to a customer success person um, because that salesperson has 
done their homework, has won the deal, they need to see it through um, and ensure that that organization really got the bill of goods um, that they signed up for. So there's not a bait and switch. Um, so, you know, that's what success looks like for me. So all the things we talked about leading up to it, those are all table stakes. You have to do all of those things well. Um, but really getting over that finish line um, and being successful and then winning a customer for life. So something we've talked about as well, Marcus, not just winning that deal. So something, you know, I coach my clients on um, and much like Angelique, I don't like to be in sales training. I really view myself as a strategic advisor um, and upskilling the organization um, and teaching them how to learn, how to win more customers, how to expand their margins um, so that then their business is growing. So, you know, I'd say that's what success looks like. That's what a good um, buying experience looks like in, in my view. Okay. So there's a, an interesting question here, which is if we can't change a person's MO, where does L&D training and practice have its place? Uh, I'm going to put my tuppence worth in on this. Um, you can you can't change someone's mo, but what you can do is you can find uh, out where um, their motivations lie, and if you can find out what's in it for them, um, their and tie their personal goals to their corporate goals, um, then uh, you can uh, redirect their behaviour. Um, I think another element that I've learned over the years is that strengths are the best development areas, not weaknesses. Yeah. And so then uh, Fred Copestate will be delighted um, at my next point, which is I think we need to look at how we can be more collaborative mm -hmm. as sales teams. Um, but I think 40 uh, years ago when Milton Friedman came up with the total um, horse dung uh, idea that everyone is responsible for worshipping uh, at the altar of shareholder value, uh, <laughs> sales became a pin factory. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Adam Smith came up with the concept of the pin factory with uh, someone uh, hammering out the wire, uh, then someone polishing it, someone giving it a point, mm -hmm. someone gluing um, the tip on, um, and so on. And um, that creates a massive disconnect for the customer. And as a result, what you end up with is a break in buyer safety. And what I'm hearing throughout is that buyers want to feel that they can trust the vendor, mm -hmm. that the trender is their, um, the vendor is their ally. Mm -hmm. And in order to be their ally, the shift in what we want our sellers to do is we want them to be curious, to really get to the root cause of why a buyer has reached this point and understand what they're trying to achieve and have the intellectual flexibility to be able to join the dots because of their um, wealth of experience of dealing with multiple buyers like them with similar problems and then really develop collaborative partnering skills with the customer and internally and really listen. Listen to what's being said, but also what's being omitted and bring that experience um, to the customer. Is that a fair summary? Um, Marco, just want to make sure I haven't missed anything important. Can you repeat the summary? Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, for me it's this. I, I, when we talk about the MO of people, I'm not sure you can change anyone's bad MO. Um, I, I do hear a lot of, of in HR space, we hear a lot of uh, don't hire for experience, but hire for attitude, right? And this goes for, for salespeople as well. I, I think that is a beautiful statement, but I think it's not complete. So I prefer to say hire for ex, for achievement instead of, of experience, but also hire for the potential and hire for your willingness uh, and your ability to change. And hire for what you cannot train. That's for me the ability to, the willingness and ability to change, right? Right. I don't need you to. I don't need to train you to to change. You can change by observing, by by uh, doing, by having an experience. Right? We learn from experiences. I, I've just spotted the time. This has gone so fast. 
Um, so we're going to have to start wrapping up now because um, I, I promised an hour, so we'll get an hour. Um, Angelique, your thoughts? Yeah, I want to answer your question about the best sales experience I ever had, um, because I think it's I think it's uh, pretty informative. And it was a small sale, um, but I had just signed an enormous contract with a conference hotel in Washington D.C. We were going to have our first big global conference as a company. This was in 2012, and I received a voicemail from uh, the head of sales at a security company. And she left me a voicemail and she said, I intentionally called and left you this voicemail after hours because I saw that your firm just booked an enormous conference at this said hotel. And I can only imagine how swamped your team is right now. But what the hotel probably hasn't told you yet is they're going to require you to have a full security team around the clock for two days before, all through your setup, two days after, you're gonna have to have security everywhere. And so you probably don't know that yet, but by the time your conference gets here, everyone's gonna be booked out. So I know it's not for a year, but this is something that you wanna handle in the next 90 days uh, mm -hmm. to be able to negotiate a contract that's favorable to you. So here's my number. And when you want help with this, call me. She did so many things right in that. She told me something I didn't know. She told me the timeline to plan for it. And she gave me room to pursue her instead of her being aggressively pursuing me. And she had empathy for me as the head of an organization, knowing I was a small business taking on this enormous task. Her, in, her emotional intelligence, her strategy around it. And I know this is not a complex sale to buy, you know, but I think it's in, I can encapsulate that for this anecdote. And so she did so many things right. And just having this sort of awareness, Marcus, of what the decision maker has to deal with. And that that level of emotional intelligence and awareness, it would go a long way in sales. Mm -hmm. And this then speaks very closely to the trust equation developed by Charlie Green. Mm -hmm. Trust equals reliability, <laughs> credibility, and intimacy over low selfish orientation. Yes. And uh, again, I think we spend so much time as vendors focusing on the logic and the intimacy is actually the most powerful lever um, which is almost never um, uh, paid attention to in training and that low self-orientation is vital as well you have to put the customer before your commission um, so Jill final words no I think I, I appreciate you pulling this unique group together um, you know I'm an advocate for procurement. I know procurement gets a really bad rap and I've worked with the worst and some of the best. And I think that, you know, we've all seen, um, they've been sold to by hundreds and thousands of very, very bad vendors um, for many, many years. So give them the benefit of the doubt. And as Angelique just articulated, sell the way that security um, salesperson sold and you will get a very, very different response. And procurement can be your number one advocate internally, and they can win you more business than you can win on your own. Um, so go ahead, Mark. I, I think as a profession, we've got a lot of growing up to do in sales. Yep. Yep. Um, and we have to get away from the attachment to old ways of doing things. And yep. um, that uh, I'll, I'll wrap up on, um, a wonderful um, uh, parable. Uh, in the 1960s, there was a uh, time and motion study commissioned by the British Army to look at artillery firing. And um, the captain uh, turned up with his clipboard and stopwatch, and he was watching these soldiers uh, um, fire the guns. And two of them would carry this heavy shell to the back of the gun. One of them would open it, they'd shove it in, uh, then they'd close the breach. One would turn around and face backwards, um, and the other one would march eight paces, turn around, put their right hand behind their back and hold up their left arm. And he asked them, why do you do that? And said, well, that's the way we were trained. And that's the way we fire the guns in this man's army, sir. Who trained you? The gunnery sergeant. So off to the gunnery sergeant. Gunny, why do you do that? And so that's the way I was trained to train them. That's the way we train them. And that's the way we train them in this man's army, sir. Um, and he was losing his hair for a couple of weeks. And one evening he was at the pub outside the barracks. And he came across this old codger who'd been in World War I or the Crimean War or whatever and said, 
you were in the gunners. There must be a reason why you, uh, they do this. Oh, yeah, they're holding the horses. Now, they hadn't had horses pulling artillery for 50 years. But no one had bothered to question. And I think we need to spend way more time mm -hmm. uh, reflecting and asking, why do we do it? Why did we start doing it? And why do we keep doing it this way? Mm -hmm. yep. So um, I just want to say thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, and I'd love to have you all back um, for another round if you're up for it. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you, Marcus. Excellent. So, Marco Molez, Jill Robbins, Angelique Ruiz, and Karen Young, thank you so much. This is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast uh, and also from Sales of Force for Good. Um, if you're not familiar with Sales of Force for Good, we're a community, global community of se sellers and customers who all want to see sales become something great again. Um, it's a noble profession which has been badly hijacked. And so we're asking all the shittiest, gnarliest, most uncomfortable questions that no one else is willing to ask. And we're also trying to find solutions. And we're making all of those freely available to any members of the community forever. So we're looking for L&D. We're looking for purchasing. We're looking for leaders, salespeople, consultants, trainers, all to be part of this group. Um, so if you'd like to get involved, direct message me on LinkedIn or email me. Marcus at laughs-last.com and I'll give everyone else's contact details on the blurb. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you, Marcus.